to uh, take us back to the book of Psalms this morning, really the hymn book of the Bible. I've told you many times, this is where the great doctrines of God are applied to life. This is where truth is really lived out. And we have to be careful as body believers because we are exposed to a lot of truth. I'm very thankful for the men in this church and how they handle the Word of God. But we have to take that truth and live that out in our lives or it's really of no value to us. And so what you have in the book of Psalms is you have men who have done that very thing. And by the grace of God, through the Spirit of God, they've communicated just how they've done that. So this book is absolutely invaluable to us. Now we've been considering the attitudes of the psalmist uh, over the last couple of weeks and you know, a lot of people will, will talk about the, the great reformers and, and look at the patterns in their life or will look at the patterns in the Puritan's life. But I think it's better to look at the patterns in the, in the psalm writer's life where certainly they were filled with the Spirit and got everything right 100%. But we've looked at their attitude toward sin and how humble and repentant they were toward God. We've looked at their attitude last week toward their dependence upon God. And a number of you communicated to me how convicting that sermon was, and it certainly was for me in preparing it. But this morning I want us to look at their attitude toward worship. And I really can't think of, well, I know I say this often, but a more important subject that we're going to cover this morning, and I'm not going to cover it adequately, I already know that. I have way too many notes. The outline is twice as long as it normally is, and I'm not going to get through it. And I only have this morning because next Sunday is December. So I say all that to say, just absolutely love to forward you guys my outline and my notes and just let you go through this yourself at a much slower pace. And I think that you will benefit from it greatly. This is information that we desperately need to know. One of the main reasons that we need to know it is because the state of worship in the church today is so terribly sad of what we see. It is nothing more than a man-centered, man-exalting, emotion-driven entertainment. It's particular people singing particular songs with particular melodies, appropriate lighting, just the right volume, manufactured energy. We call it good worship, but all it is is paganism. And when you think of how many churches will gather this morning with all the lights and with all the instruments, and all the musicians, and all the talented singers, and all the hype that's going on from the worship leader, it's super sad to realize that it looks much more like paganism than the worship of our Holy Father. And so we really need to understand and follow the psalmist of the, or the pattern rather, of the psalmist. Because we know that genuine worship takes place when hearts are lifted toward God expressing to Him a great many wonderful things, such as praise and adoration and thanksgiving and joy. When our hearts are lifted up toward God, expressing those things to Him from the depth of our souls, that's worship. Okay. Now we'll see this morning some necessary elements of worship, and that's where I want to spend the whole of our time. But I want to, I want to start by saying this. I'm so very thankful for the progress that this church has made over the last several years in regard to worship. And I know we've still got a ways to go. But you guys understand that everything that we do once we get here is considered a part of worship. 
from the time that the men pray in the morning, and that's some of my favorite time, we begin worshiping the Lord. From the time that we sing, certainly that's worship. From the time that we give, and I know we do that, and I'm beginning to wrestle with that now. You know the reasons that we do it, and I like how we do it, but I also understand I don't want to rob you of the worship of God because that's a part of worship. But the most significant part of worship takes place from this pulpit because the proclamation of the Word of God and your faithful, humble, repentant response to the Word of God is the most significant part of worship. And so we need to learn from the psalmist. And I thought Psalm 71, where we were last week, would be a good place to go back this week to learn about worship because David's got some gray hair by this time in his life. And this psalm's just dripping with wisdom. Now I want to go in order of importance. In other words, I've got about five things here. And the deeper we go, the more important winding up at the ultimate importance. But I want to begin with something that's not unimportant. Don't misunderstand me. What I'm about to start with is important. But it's just not as important as other things. And so the first thing that I want to start with in regard to worship is the tools that God has given us for worship. Even though most people refer to the part of service where music is played and the congregation is sings as the worship time, we understand here that that is not worship in all of its essence or all of its fullness, yet it's an extraordinarily significant part of worship. Music is one of the most powerful tools and powerful things that God has given us to help us in worship. But because it's so powerful, emotionally, we have to be so careful with it. I don't know if you guys listen to Alistair Begg. I strongly encourage you to listen to Alistair Begg, and especially at his age. He's getting older, and I know he won't be able to go on forever, but I've learned so much from him. But he talks about, and I never really realized this, the most powerful influence over culture, entire cultures, is music. We would think it would be some powerful speaker, We think it would be some charismatic leader. But he says, no, it's never that. Culture is driven by music because music puts to words what we desire in our hearts. And so goes music, so goes culture because that motivates culture to go off into that direction. Hence, music for the largest part is humanism and it's terribly sinful. And if you want to write a song that's countercultural to what's going on in our place, for instance, all the immorality that's expressed in songs. If you want to write a song about purity and holiness right now, you're going to be considered singing hate speech. That's how powerful music is. They want to use that tool to press them further down to the road of humanism and sin, right? Well, we've got to be careful and understand just how powerful then Music is as an aid for worship to us. It's something that God has literally given us to worship Him. Those who do music must understand that, must understand the importance of it, and practice it well. Music in worship must be done well. But at the same time, music can never be the focal point of our attention. We have to be careful that all of our attention goes toward the Lord. And so if you ever lead in worship, you have to realize that you're trying to point everyone away from you and toward God. 
And that's something that's very difficult to do for sinful people. I like to illustrate music with those huge road signs that hang over freeways. And if you ever go through Atlanta, can you imagine how hard that would be if they took all of those massive signs down over the roadway? You'd be like, I have no idea where I'm going, right? Music does that for us. It's just a big road sign that says, hey, get your attention, set your eyes on the glory of God. Get it off of you. Get it off of what you're thinking about right now. Get it off of what you're going to do after church. And look at the sign and it points your heart toward God. Worship that does that and worship leaders that do that are doing their job very well, right? So we have to be careful with music, but at the same time understand just how wonderful it is. And since we're talking about music, let me say something about musical instruments. Because instruments... And the ability to play them is a gift from the Lord and an extremely effective tool for ministry and for worship. And it's a terribly sad thing to see instruments and those gifted to use them do so for other purposes than for the worship of God. The closer I get to the Lord, the more I dislike, and that's a super mild word for what I really feel, I super dislike music used directly to dishonor God. And you have to realize the majority of it does. And yet it was given to us by God to glorify God in a very powerful way. So we need to be careful with music and be careful with musical instruments and the playing of them. Now, instruments can be found all over the book of Psalms. We're in 71, so if you'll notice verse 22... The old gray-haired man writes this, I will praise you with a harp, even your truth, O my God, to you I will sing praises with the lyre, O Holy One of Israel. And so David's picked up these stringed instruments and he's singing praises to God with all of his heart. He is worshiping God. He's gifted in these areas, obviously. And he's able to use those even, and it seems like it's not corporate here, It seems like it's personal here, and he's even using instruments to set his own heart and direct his own mind toward God in the worship of God by doing these things. Hey, let me tell you, it's a wonderful thing if somebody in your family is gifted with musical instruments because they can lead the whole family in family worship in the home. Now, I know you're familiar with Psalms 150. Let me just read you just a few of these. He names a number of musical instruments. Praise Him with the trumpet sound. Praise Him with the harp and the lyre. Praise Him with timbrel and dancing. Let me pause on dancing. If you ever find yourself going to Africa or Rwanda, you better dust off your dancing shoes because let me tell you something, it's embarrassing when a white guy tries to join them in worship by dancing. I know that from personal experience. It doesn't go well. Praise Him with stringed instruments and pipe. There's your strings. There's your wind. Praise Him with loud cymbals. Praise Him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. So it's everything. Everything is included. Everything can be used in leading the congregation in worship. And everything, if you're talented in it, ought to be used. Now, I realize that there's some that think musical instruments should not be used. And I do understand why they say that. And they use very poor exegesis because there is no musical instruments in the New Testament. And therefore, they draw the conclusion that we shouldn't use them since we're a part of the New Covenant Church. 
That's very poor exegesis. But there is an inherent danger with instruments, and I kind of touched on that a moment ago. If you're talented, this is no time to try to impress others with your talents. If you're talented, the church is no place to show that off. Because if you get up here and try to show that off, you're stealing God's praise and you're putting that praise back on yourself. And here's where you and I got to be careful because there's a whole lot of kids in here. And over the next few years, we're going to see a whole lot of these kids on stage with musical instruments. There's going to be kids and there's going to be grandkids. And you, as a parent, grandparent, are going to have to guard your heart because you're going to be so proud of them. But you're going to have to sit them down and teach them. So thankful for the talent you've been given. And there are going to be places where I stand and applaud that talent. But when we come in here, it is not about you. And I'm not going to make it about you. So if there's a place for you to hide, young man or young lady, behind a wall or behind a pulpit and play that thing, that's where you need to get until you understand that what God has given you is not for your glory. You see, we've got to be so careful. We celebrate those talents, but this is not the time for it. This is the time where we worship the Lord. But when musical instruments are used well, practiced well, they are absolutely great benefit to the body of Christ. And let me say this, and I'll move on to number two uh, in order of importance. While your kids are little, and I know many of you are doing this, put it before them. See if God has gifted them. See if they have a desire to learn some sort of musical instrument. And here's the main reason for that. Wherever they move when they grow up, I don't care if it's Fort Worth, Texas. I don't care if it's Mississippi. I don't care if it's North Carolina or Rwanda. They will be useful to the body of Christ in leading in worship. Have you thought about that? It doesn't matter where they go. They will be a useful tool in worship and will be of great, great benefit in worship. I don't know, some of you have probably been in small church settings where nobody could pick up an instrument and help the congregation in singing. And that's really tough. I've been there and we had to play YouTube videos just to worship. You can get it done. Just like you can ride a bicycle to work in the morning. If you want, it will get you there. But more than likely, you're going to get in your vehicle and go because it's just a whole lot better. Likewise, give your kids the opportunity and just see. And if they take hold of it, praise the Lord for the gift and know they'll always be useful for the body of Christ, at least in that respect. Second thing, the ultimate instrument. The best instrument in the whole orchestra is what? It's the mouth. The mouth is what God has given every single one of us to praise Him. You think of Psalms 100. And I know, unfortunately, we, we use these Psalms to make fun of one another. But uh, we really shouldn't do that. Psalms 100 says this, Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth, Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into His presence with singing. Now we use that to try to get other people that can't make a joyful noise not to make a joyful noise. But the word joy doesn't have very much to do with the mouth. It has more to do with the heart. 
And so surely all of us have great reasons to worship our God, for surely He has done great things in our lives. And surely you can use the instrument that He has given you, and I know all of you are well equipped to use that thing because I've heard you use it. All of us are well equipped to sing praises to God with our mouth because there have been times when our hearts are filled with great joy. And so we should all gather as the children of God and make a joyful, heartfelt voice or or sounds out to God in praise. But isn't, isn't that absolutely fascinating that that's the instrument? I don't know if I'd have picked that. I'd have picked some other body part going on, not the mouth. Because what is the one instrument when left unredeemed is so terrible in glorifying God, and so well-equipped in the curses of God. The mouth. Isn't that absolutely fascinating to me? The unredeemed mouth is not fit for worship. And it never will be. We just went through Romans chapter 3, and here's a part of that I know you remember. At really the peak of the book of Romans, as far as the fallenness of man... Paul says this, There is none righteous, not even one. There's none who understands. There's none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they've become useless. There's no one who does good, not even one. And do you remember what he says next? Their throat is an open grave. Their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing in bitterness. You have to understand that there is a direct line from this to this. And when this is unredeemed and when this is fallen, this becomes the fountain of sin. Isn't that something? This should not be used in worship when this has not been reconciled to God because it cannot and it will not, right? But the redeemed mouth, oh, that's totally different. The redeemed mouth is totally equipped for the worship of God. It is the ultimate instrument and it is the necessary instrument for worship. You know, sometimes we do this, and I really wish we we wouldn't do this, but sometimes people say things and we think, oh, that sounded pretty cool. And then we'll repeat that. Don't do that. Figure out your own things to say from your own quiet times. But I've heard this said a number of times. I prayed to the Lord. I've never said this. But people say things like this. Share the gospel and sometimes use words. Man, that's foolish. That's directly contrary to the teaching of Scripture. Right? We're going to see that clearly in Romans. But I bet there's someone out there who would say, Worship God and sometimes use words. Equally foolish. The primary reason you have a mouth is to sing praises to God. In fact, that's much about Psalm 71. Look at verse 8 with me. There are several references. Let me touch on many of them, not all of them. Psalm 71, verse 8, David says, My mouth is filled with your praise and with your glory. Notice, all day long. Look at verse 15. 
my mouth shall tell of your righteousness and of your salvation all day long. Look at the second part of verse 16. I will make mention of your righteousness, yours alone. Verse 22, I'll praise you with the harp, your truth, O my God. To you I will sing praises with the lyre, O Holy One of Israel. 23, my lips will shout for joy when I sing praises to you. 24, my tongue also will utter your righteousness when? All day long. That's what a redeemed mouth is for. That's what a redeemed mouth does. It is absolutely filled with the praises of God. So if that's true, and you're all sitting there in conviction right now, we have to realize that you better be careful with what else you do with that mouth of yours. Why would we ever use this mouth that God has given us for the purpose of praising Him and then turn right around and speak things that dishonor Him? Does that make sense to anyone? Why would we ever do those things? James is quick to warn us, and I know you've spent time in the book of James, but just listen to what James says. Every species of beasts and birds, of reptiles and fish is tamed and has been tamed by man. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth comes both blessing and cursing. And then he says one of the most practical instructions you'll find in the New Testament. Brethren, these things ought not be this way. Why in the world would we ever do that? Can you imagine if, if you played a wind instrument, like say a trumpet in worship, and then you carried it home and went out to the barn and cleaned out the stables with that instrument? And if you saw somebody do that, you'd just assume that they've gone crazy because you'd say, that is absolutely disgusting. I'll never blow on that trumpet again. Well, there's not a whole lot of difference between us gathering corporately and lifting our hearts and voices to praise on Sunday and then going out on Monday and talking and speaking in a way that brings dishonor and, un and not glorifying God. What's the difference in that? It's an instrument. Are you going to lift it to heaven on Sunday and then mash it down in the mud on Monday? We have to be so careful. And this is such an important issue in the truth right now. I mean, such an important issue in the church right now because what has become socially acceptable in our day is horrible. I mean, used to, you'd have to go see a rated R film to hear these particular words and languages thrown around. Now, no, uh-uh. And it's not just adults. It's very small children who have yet to be able to form words on social media. And they've taught them the worst of words to say. That ought to make your heart cringe and your mouth throw up. And the problem is, it's been so accepted in culture, now it's making its way into the church. I'm like, are you kidding me? Born again believers are going to talk like that? Have we lost our minds? 
I know they profess to know Christ, but I really have a tough time drawing the line there of truly knowing Christ. Please, if you do that, repent. Don't use this for praise and foul language just a few hours apart. No, you were given a mouth for one reason. Learn how to blow it with clarity and beauty and glory. Got to move on. Third thing, more important than that. Where worship originates, and it certainly does not originate in the mouth. Where does worship originate? It's in the soul. In fact, Barbara sang it for us this morning. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee. That's worship. And that's where it comes from. Worship that is only as deep as the throat is no worship at all. In fact, the Lord takes this up in Isaiah 29. He's bringing judgment down upon the people, and it's in regard to worship. This is what He says, Isaiah 29, 13, Because this people draw near to Me with their words and honor Me with their lips, but their hearts are far from Me, and their reverence for Me consists of tradition that's just learned by rote memory. In other words, you're just saying stuff. But there's nothing going on in here. Your heart is in rebellion. Now let me ask you, how many times have you done that? Hiding sin in my heart. Come on Sunday morning. Oh, they're singing my favorite song. And you just hop right up. Sing out loud. You just love that song. Lift in your hands. And the Lord's like, I don't even hear you. You just might as well be going blah, 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 blah. Because that's all you're doing. You see, this soul is so important. Genuine worship originates in the very depths of our soul or it doesn't take place at all. I've got one verse. David just touches on this. Notice with me in verse 23. 71.23 My lips will shout for joy when I sing praises to you. There's his mouth. And my what? Soul. It wasn't just his mouth he was worshiping God with. It was from the depth of his soul. Let me give you another one that's really good. Psalms 30. If you study this afterwards, go to Psalms 30. It's very interesting. It seems as though David is drawing near to death and God delivers him. And then in verses 11 and 12, listen to what David says, right? God has delivered him and he writes, You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and girded me with gladness that, so that, my soul may sing praise to you and not be silent. Oh, Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. You know what's happened in Psalms 30? Whatever it was, it was absolutely devastating for David's soul. And some of you have been through that recently. And through the grace of God, God delivered him from that moment. And he says, oh, Lord, look what you've done. You've turned my mourning into dancing. 
you cut off those clothes of mourning, that sackcloth, and you just covered me in gladness. And now I'm up, and my soul is singing praises to you, and now I'm going to do it forever. Let me tell you what that's a reflection of. That's a reflection of the very exact thing that you and I will do when we see our Savior the second time. Oh, we're going to dance. And we're going to sing. And it's going to be from the very depth of our soul because never again will we put on sackcloth. We will forever be girded in gladness in what God has done for us. Man, this is such a beautiful thing. And it made me wonder if sometimes God allows us to go through very difficult days because He wants to drive worship down deeper into our souls. I wonder sometimes if the Lord's tired of us singing from here and He wants us to sing from here. And He goes, all right. I'm going to let you walk through some things because I want the sound to come from down in here. And when we learn to do that, my goodness, how we can sing praises to God. And nobody has to tell us, come on church, sing. No, it's coming from here. You might have to say, come on joy, we've stopped singing. Right? But I tell you what, the Lord is going to fit us for worship. And we will worship. And we will be 110% effective at it. In fact, for now, He's done something really wonderful for us. He's given us the Spirit of God to aid us in worship. Now this is why I wanted you to go to Ephesians 5. So turn with me to Ephesians 5. And I want to read a few passages there to you. I want you to see this. And I included too much. I want to start in verse 15. I can't leave some things alone, right? Ephesians 5, verse 15. Paul writes, Therefore, here's his conclusion, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. The days are evil. So then, don't be foolish. But understand what the will of the Lord is. Of course, we know what the will of the Lord is to walk as wise men. It's not rocket science here. Uses an illustration. Don't get drunk with wine, for that's dissipation. But rather instead, be filled with the Spirit. Notice what the Spirit's going to do. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody with your what? With your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. You see, the Spirit wants worship. And the Spirit accomplishes worship in His people because He motivates worship from down here. In other words, great song. I remember times in my past at different churches. Great song. Super talented people singing it. Altars filled. Worship? No. Maybe a few. But it was a song. It was a particular girl. It was a particular moment. 
And you know what people always responded with? My, how great worship was today. No, 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 no. You see, in order to know how great worship was today, we'd have to peer into your soul and your heart because that's where the Spirit leads worship. It's in here. And when He does that, it comes from here. So I guess rather than saying something like, worship was great today, we might rather say, where's your soul at this morning after gathering for the worship of God? And if you responded, oh, it's still lifted up into the praises of God, I would go, that's awesome. That was the goal, right? Moving on. I don't know that this is a step up, but we'll call it a step across. We go from the source of worship being the soul to the time for worship. And this is very important. Certainly the Lord's Day Sunday morning is reserved for the worship of God. It is certainly one of the most important times for followers of Christ. If you're taking notes, jot down Psalm 149.1 and let me read it to you. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song and His praise in the congregation of the godly ones. In other words, the psalmist has taken the front and he's leading the congregation into singing praises to God. It is the corporate singing of the godly ones. They've gathered for church. And I'm telling you, you got to participate in this. You got to be a part of this. People say, oh, I know the Lord, but I don't go to the church. Ah, I don't know what to do with you. Man, this is one of the primary reasons He saved you to gather corporately and sing praises to God and express worship to God in prayer and through the preaching of the word, right? This is one of the most significant times, but it is certainly not the only time. And I find this fascinating. It seems to be a direct connection between the worshiping of God and the maturing of the believer. That seems to happen at the same time. As we worship God, we seem to mature in our relationship with God, which means worship should not just be on Sunday morning. If it is, I hate to hurt your feelings, but you're immature. I can't find one example of someone who doesn't regularly attend church and at the same time is mature in their relationship with Christ. I've never met them. I've never met them. You see, worship is not just for Sunday morning. Worship should be continual in the life of the believer. The old gray-haired man teaches us this. Look at Psalm 71, verse 6. David writes, By you I have been sustained from my birth. You are He who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is what? Continually of you. That's all I do. Notice verse 8. My mouth is filled with your praise and with your glory. When? All day long. Verse 14. As for me, I will hope continually and will praise you. What does it say? Yet more and more. How about that? In other words, you want to you measure yourself or whether or not you're getting more mature in Christ? Well, just measure the amount of time you're spending in worship. That'd be a really effective way to do that. 
How much more time are you spending in the worship and praise of God? Because the more you do, the more like Him you're going to become. And I know we're coming up on New Year's resolutions, but listen, let's do it a little deeper than that. Let's really make a commitment to praise God for all things. Big things, little things. Hey, praise God in your sin. Do you know why? He sent you a Savior. And so just as just the second you finish repentance, strike up praise in your heart because God saved you from that. Praise God in sorrow and pain. I saw my dear friend do that this past week. Praise God in birth and praise God in death if it's the death of one in Christ. Praise God in the morning when you wake up. Praise God in the night when you lay down. Let your worship of God be continual. And you'll look more like your Savior. Last thing, most important thing. And of course, man, there's a lot here. This is maybe why you need my notes more than anything. And they're not exhaustive. I mean, y'all, you do realize I could have included a few thousand verses for this morning's sermon. I was really getting pretty picky here and there. But the most important thing is the content of worship. Now, I know I left out the object of worship, but... I mean, I'm hoping that's a no-brainer. The object of worship is God alone. We cannot and we will not do anything that magnifies man. Not as long as I'm standing behind this pulpit. We're not here to glory in man. And if you ever wonder, I wonder why the preacher doesn't do this or do that. Well, just think about it. Because I'm hoping 100% of the things I don't do is because I'm afraid they exalt man for something. And I don't have a problem with doing that, but we're not going to do that now. What we're going to do now is we're going to exalt God. He is the singular object of worship. But I want to talk about the content of worship because that's the most important thing. And I know that I've said that we worship God for all things, but I can only find three categories. In other words, we worship God for all things, but if you'll give me your list of all things... I'm pretty convinced that I can put them in just three categories. And I want to close this morning with giving you those three categories and then give you some thought. Turn with me to Psalm 33. I don't want to leave the book of Psalm. David does one, primarily one thing in Psalm 71, and I'll show you that. Psalms 33, he, he does them all. At least he lists them all. Okay? Notice verse 1. Sing, here we go, we've already started. Sing for joy in the Lord, O you His righteous ones. That's the church. Notice what he says, praise is becoming to the upright. It's what we ought to do. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Here comes your instruments. Sing praises to Him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to Him a new song. Play skillfully, that's necessary, with a shout of joy. And look at the next word, for or because. Now he did this sing, sing, sing. He's mentioned three times. And he says, now I'm going to tell you the reasons we're going to worship God. And what's the number one reason we worship God in verse 4? For the word of the Lord is upright. Number one thing. The number one reason we worship God is for the Word of God. All right? 
Look at the next word, and. What's the second reason? And all his work. That's what Barbara led us this morning. We were singing about the redemptive work of God. So the number one thing is we worship the word of God. Secondly, he lists the work of God. It's all done in faithfulness. And then number five is it shouldn't be tough for you after Wednesday nights. I think you'll get it. The third thing, he loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the loving kindness of the Lord. What's that? Rob, his character. We worship God for His Word, we worship God for His work, and we worship God for His character. And when I say we worship God for all things, I'm convinced, and you'll have to show me different, maybe I'll find it one day, I'm convinced all those all things fit into three things. Now if we were in Wednesday night, and we had, I had my marker board up here, this is how I draw it, so just kind of get it in your mind. The Word goes across the top, number one, the Word. And then you've got two branches that come off, you've got... The work of God and you've got the character of God. Because where do we see the work of God and the character of God explained? The Word of God. Okay. Now we take the work of God and we divide that up into two categories. Because there's the mighty works and there's the personal works. What are the two mighty works? You also know this really well. Creation and redemption. Creation and recreation. In other words, you'll find in the psalmist they're worshiping God for creation or they're worshiping God for redemption. And then we get over into the character of God and there's a long list of the characters of God. But what have I told you, and I hope I'm not wrong, what's God's favorite word to describe His character? Loving kindness. The loving kindness of God. Now let me walk through those backwards, and backward and, and, and look, go back to Psalm 71. David is going to primarily worship God for his character. And so I'm about to walk backwards through what I just told you. But let me say this if you're picking out songs and you're a worship leader. you got three things to work with. Make sure it fits into those three things. And you'll be biblical. Okay? Psalm 71, look at verse 18. So even... To old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those to come. Verse 19, your righteousness, O God, reaches to the heavens. Look down in verse 22. I will also praise you with the heart for your faithfulness, O my God, O Holy One of Israel. In other words, David set his heart to praise God for who God is. Now, I really want you to learn to do that. I want you to pick up the Bible words that God uses to describe Himself, and I want you to praise God for how He describes Himself. There's other Psalms. Let me read you just a couple, just quickly. If you're taking notes, Psalm 99, Psalms 36, both of them do a great job. Listen to Psalm 99. The Lord is great in Zion. He's exalted over all the peoples. Let them praise your greatness and your awesome name. Holy is He. In other words, the song leader, the worship leader's gotten up and he's called the congregation to worship and he said, let's praise God for His name. And so they take off praising God for His name. That's something, right? Psalm 36, I want... Well, let me just give you a few key words. He uses so many words to describe God. Steadfast love, faithfulness, righteousness, your judgments, how precious is your steadfast love, you're a refuge and shadow in your wings. 
In other words, Psalm 36, he's just reeling off words in the praise to God. Now let's go over on the second side and talk about the works of God very quickly. Look at verse 19. David touches on it one time. Verse 19, he says, Your righteousness, O God, reaches to the heavens. You have done great things, O God, who is like you. In other words, he briefly mentions the works of God. Now let me give you a couple. Psalm 86, Psalm 66. Let me read Psalm 66, and then we're going to go to a different psalm. Psalm 66 is absolutely good. Listen to this. Listen to the worship leader. Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing glory of His name. Give Him glorious praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. All the earth worships you and sing praises to you. They sing praises to your name. Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in His deeds. In other words, the worship leader is taking the pulpit and he's fired up the congregation and he said, we're going to sing praises to God for everything He's ever done. Now, I told you there's two categories. Turn to Psalms 104. I hate we don't have more time to be devotional, but Lord willing, we'll come back to this one day. I'll break it up into three sermons and we'll take our time. Now, I want you to notice this, parents especially. Because not only is the psalmist leading us in worship to God for creation, but he's teaching the congregation about the elements of creation. In other words, you want to teach your kids about creation? Here's a wonderful song, Psalm 104, to teach your kids about creation. That was another useful tool that they used to teach the people. Look at 104. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. And so we're off and running with worship. Look at verse 5. He established the earth upon its foundation so that it will not totter forever and ever. Uh, skip over into verse 10. He sends forth springs in the valleys and they flow between the mountains. They give drink to every beast of the field. Look at verse 14. He causes the grass to grow for the cattle and vegetation for the labor of man. 18. The high mountains are for the wild goats. The cliffs are a refuge for those particular things. I have no idea how to pronounce. He made the moons for its seasons. The sun knows the place of its settings. Look at verse 27. They all wait for you to give them their food in due season. Verse 31. Let the glory of the Lord endure forever. Let the, glory be, let the Lord be glad in His works. He looks at the earth, it trembles, He touches the mountains, they smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. Let my meditation be pleasing to Him. As for me, I shall be glad in the Lord. In other words, He just walked through creation. And He's praising God the whole way. And so we're going to worship God for His works. And one of those great works is creation, or you can take up redemption. This is how you teach your kids these things as well. Now, when we talk about the works of God, I mentioned there's two, mighty and personal. Go with me to Psalm 28. Appreciate your patience. I don't like a whole lot. 
Now, I read this at the graveside the other day. And I tell you, I love it. Because the first part of the Psalms, he makes a request. In the last part, God has answered it and he worships God for it. Now let me read just a couple. Look at verses 1 and 2. To you, O Lord, I call. My rock, do not be deaf to me, for if you're silent, I will become like those who go down to the pit. Hear the voice of my supplications when I cry to you for help, when I lift up my hands toward your holy sanctuary. Now look at verse 6, because he's answered his prayer. Blessed be the Lord, because He has heard the voice of my supplication. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in Him, and I am helped. Therefore, my heart exalts. It even comes from the right place. So when we worship God, I mean, there's a lot of things you can pick from. A lot of works that He's done, but it's basically three things. It's creation... It's redemption, or it's what He's done for me. And that list is endless. I'm a funny story, like we have time for funny stories, but here you go. I was in Rwanda, and a girl had gotten bit by a poisonous snake. Nothing you can do there. So the Lord delivers her from that, right? And so she's up in the congregation and wants to sing praises to God for him to deliver her. And not only did she write a song, but she also choreographed a dance. And so she's up on the front of the congregation just dancing up a storm and singing and singing and singing and singing. And it goes on and on and on and on and on to the point where they're even comfortable. And one of the elders got up, put his arm around her, pulled the microphone away and said, Honey, we just praise God for you, but let's go on with worship. And had her sit down. But you and I would be the same way. If we're absolutely filled with fear, in comes our great deliverer to set us free. And now all of a sudden, you got a new song to sing about, right? Because God has done a great thing for you. And those are personal. Last thing, most important thing. I'll take you to the Word of God. And I want you to be turning to Matthew 15 while I'm talking about this. So we walked back up my little thing on the whiteboard here, the chart. And we got to end by talking about the Word of God because the worship of God cannot be separated from the Word of God or you don't have worship. Let me say that again. The worship of God cannot be separated from the Word of God or you don't have worship. Look at Matthew 15, look in verse 9. Six words. In vain they do worship me. And you're like, oh no, we got a problem. The Lord says, I've heard you worship, and I just want you to know it's vanity. Well, why in the world, Lord? Look at verse 8. Let's walk up through this backwards. The people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And you're like, okay, I get it. We're just worshiping you from here and not from here. So you're like, all I'm hearing is blah, 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 blah. That's not the end of the story. Why is it that God thinks they're worshiping from here and not from here? Back on up to the next verse, the verse before it, verse 6. 
He need not honor his father, but that's not where it really starts. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the what? The Word of God. Your worship is vanity. In other words, it's coming from your throat, but your hearts, they're rebellious. Why, Lord? Because you set aside the Word of God. And I thought about this this morning. Do you know how many churches will gather? And they'll spend all kinds of money. Oh, y'all, I saw one on my uh, Instagram feed the other day. They had tracks running out into the congregation. They had six of them. They hitched or chained men in the back with a set of drums in front of them. And men would go out across the congregation playing the drums. And there were like six men that were flying up. You know, no telling how big that, that sanctuary was. And they had lights and music and the screen. Y'all, the screen was probably bigger than this whole back wall. Stuff was going on. The guy was running the sound booth and it looked like he was uh, making a spaceship go to the moon. There's so many buttons and whistles up there. And more than likely, there's going to be a man, maybe not, take the pulpit and proclaim things that are not true according to the Word of God. And they literally spent millions to get it done. And God says, it's all in vain. What about that? You know, so many people go to church for the worship, what they think, music. This up here has got to be awesome. And they're like, yeah, I really like that church. Man, the music, it's just, they got all kinds of instruments. It's just upbeat. It's absolutely thrilling. And they just love it. And we go to church there. And what they don't realize, what the guy doing behind the pulpit is canceling everything. Because they listen to things that are not consistent with the Word of God. And God says, I don't know what happened about 30 minutes ago, but I just need you to know I didn't hear any of it. Until you get your heart consistent in the Word of God, just stop the worship of God. That's why this right here is the primary leadership in the Word of God. If we don't get this right... Whatever else we do is not right. Let me ask you this question, and we're done. Anybody know the longest song or psalm in the Bible? 119. What's 119 about? The Word of God from beginning to end. In fact, if I said, okay, let me read Psalm 119, you do realize it would take me about 30 minutes to read it. It's all about praising God for His Word, and it's the longest in the Bible. Let me just read just a few verses, and you can see what I I mean. The psalmist writes this, I have stored up Your Word in my heart that I might not sin against You. Blessed are You, O Lord, teach me Your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of Your mouth. In the way of Your testimony I delight as much as in all my riches." I meditate on your precepts. I fix my eyes on your ways. I delight in your word and I will not forget your statutes. Man. It begins and it ends with the word of God. So here's what I want you to do in closing. 
These guys who wrote 150 of these songs has so much to teach us in regard to worship. I would love for all of us to spend December reading the Psalms. It doesn't matter which one. I mean, you got a whole lot to choose from. But I'd really love it if you'd sit down and look for the worship of God for three things. Right? Are they praising Him for His Word? Underline it, stop, and you do the same thing. Are they praising Him for His works? The mighty ones or personal ones? If they're mighty, stop. Praise Him for those mighty works. But if they're personal, take a long time and think about the personal things that God has done on your behalf and worship God for those things. And then the last thing, and one of the most significant things, when they're worshiping God for His character, stop. Make sure you understand what they're talking about and then worship God for His character. And I'm convinced if this becomes a pattern of our life, the worship around here is going to explode because we finally understand what it really looks like and what it's supposed to be. Let's pray.